It is not at all an exaggeration to say that we exist as a church because of Easter. Everything that you see about Christianity exists because of Easter. Everything from the missionaries that we send around the world to everything we do every Sunday morning to the little goldfish cracker your toddler may be eating in the nursery right now. All of it is because 2,000 years ago, a dead Nazarene Jew named Jesus got up and walked out of a grave. That's everything. See, it's easy to get it twisted. It's easy to think because there's Christianity, you'll hear people say, Easter is a Christian holiday. Easter's a Christian holiday. So what you think, and it's easy to understand why, what you'll think if you're not careful is you'll think there's Christianity, and because there's Christianity, there's Easter, right? Because there's Christianity, all these Christians want to celebrate Easter. I'm here to tell you that is exactly backwards. There was never going to be a Christianity. Nobody dreamed up Christianity. No one's going to plan Christianity. But see, because there was Easter, then there was Christianity. You understand? On that first Easter Sunday morning, I assure you, once Jesus was crucified, his band of followers were not planning Easter. They were planning how to get out of the city alive. Did you know on that Friday night, they were scared to death after the crucifixion of Jesus, and they realized if they came for Jesus, it's only a matter of time they're going to come for us. And so they stayed in that locked room. They locked the door. And the only Easter miracle they were praying for was to get out of that city alive. You think, why didn't they just leave? Because Saturday was the Sabbath. And it would be very noticeable if this group of disciples left the city on Saturday. Everybody would see them. Nobody else was in the city. So you have to wait until the hustle and bustle of Sunday morning. And they were just hoping to get out of the city alive. The only Easter miracle they were praying for would be to somehow get out of Jerusalem alive. Jesus is dead. Maybe we can go back to fishing and figure all this out. They were scared to death. At no point in the upper room did one disciple look at another and go, hey, you know what we ought to do tomorrow morning? Let's dress up in pastel togas. (laughs) Stay with me. I think we should hide a bunch of eggs. There was no Easter for them. You understand? Hey, John, what are you working on over there? Oh, I'm going to compose five books in this thing called the New Testament. No, there was never going to be a New Testament. Never going to be anything. Except what happened was early Easter Sunday morning. It was those women, by the way. It was the women who looked around at these scared disciples. It was the women who looked around and said, well, if something's going to get done around here, it's going to have to be us. (laughs) Nothing has changed in 2,000 years of church ministry. I assure you that. And those brave women went to the tomb, and you know the rest of the story. And the tomb is empty, and Jesus appears. And now, ever since that first Sunday morning, he's alive. But we saw you dead, but you're alive. And when they realized he's alive, suddenly everything he said suddenly made a whole lot more sense. And then, and only then, did these gospel writers write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then there was an Acts. Then there was a New Testament. Then they realized it must be our mission to tell the world that this Jesus is alive and to present the good news. And here we are 2,000 years later, and all I've got for you is a simple good news gospel message that Jesus is alive and you can be saved today. Or you can be recommitted him today. You can repent. You can rededicate your life today. That's it. 
That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to preach as simply as I know how, and let me tell you what's going to happen. At the end of this message, I'm going to give what's called an invitation. I'm going to give two. I'm going to give two invitations. Invitation is a church word that just means a chance for the people to respond to what they feel like God is pulling them to do. Does that make sense? I'm going to do two invitations. The first invitation is going to be inviting anyone who would say, I'm not a Christian. I'm not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Preachers have a million ways of saying this, but I think they're saying the same thing. I'm not yet saved. I've never been born again. I've never transferred my trust to Jesus. If you would say, I'm not saved, but I want to be saved today. I sense the Holy Spirit bringing me to life, even as the gospel is preached. If that's you, then you're going to have a chance to repent and be saved today, that today would be the day of your salvation. If you would say, I'm not saved, or, and I would also put you in this first invitation, if you would say, or, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know where I would spend eternity if I were to die. I don't know that I have a relationship with God, but more than anything, I know I want a relationship with God. So if that's you, this invitation will be for you. That first invitation will be for you. Why would, why not today? Let today be the day of your salvation. Be no better day. Folks are praying for you right now. I've been praying for you that there will be a harvest this morning. Those, that's that first invitation. I'm going to give a second invitation. And that second invitation is for those of you who would say, I'm a believer, but I need to recommit my life to Christ. I need to, I need to, uh, again, preachers have different vocabulary. It's not so much to me to get hung up on the words, but I think they're saying the same thing. I need to rededicate my life to Christ. I need to repent. I need to turn from sin and turn back to my Savior, Jesus. I know I'm, uh, uh, some, the old time preachers call it being backslidden. I'm, I'm backslidden and I need to restore that proper relationship with Christ. If that's either one of you, I'm going to give you an invitation. Listen, it's you. It's you. I, I, I will respect you and love you, whatever. But I'm pleading with you, if it's one of those two things, you'll know, and you'll know you need to respond. And I'm asking you, will you respond this morning on Easter Sunday morning? He said, well, I just, I just came here, you know, I, maybe, maybe you came here, you know, my family invited me, or I don't know, I'm just here, I'm a regular, I, you know, I didn't expect all that, I wasn't here. Uh, don't worry, if you came here this morning not expecting to meet Jesus, neither did, neither did the disciples on the first Easter. He has a way of surprising and showing up. And I believe he's here for you today. That's what's going to happen. That's the invitation, a chance for you to respond to the good news. Now, when I keep saying good news, I keep saying gospel. What is the gospel? In a nutshell, the gospel starts with God. God. God is triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons forever. God is love. God loves you, and God made a perfect world, a good world, and he put Adam and Eve in that good world. He put the humans. You matter because you were made in the image of God. But then something dreadful happened, and I don't have to convince any of you of this. You know what happened. Sin entered the world, and now there's brokenness. I don't have to convince anybody there's brokenness. You can look to what's happening in Ukraine right now, or you can look to the... uh, 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 family dynamics. You can, you can look around at, at corporations or even at neighbors. You can look at relationships that have been fractured. The Bible says all that brokenness has a name. It's called sin. We've been sinned against, and if we're honest, we look in the mirror, we know we've also been the one who sinned. 
So that separates us from God. And so since the beginning of history, humans have been on a quest to fix that fracture that they feel between them and God and the fracture they feel between themselves and other people. There's all sorts of ways. We instinctively know it requires sacrifice. We've got to figure out how to get it right. What has history taught us? We've never been able to get it right. The bad news is we will be separated from God for as long as it takes for atonement for sin to be made. And since you and I can never really atone for sin, we'll be separated from God forever. But the good news of the gospel is this. God did not wait for us to get right with him. God acted. God became a man. He, God was born as a little baby, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, and that little baby Jesus was God in human flesh. He grew up and lived a sinless life. He lived the life we should have lived. And on Calvary's cross, he stretched out his arms and he died on that cross. And what was happening was the perfect record of righteous obedience that Jesus had is bestowed upon all who believe. And the penalty for sin that we deserve was laid upon Jesus. That's why the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Now, you say, well, I, but I guess if he died on a cross, then he proved he couldn't fix the world's problems either. Ah, but that's just it. Three days later, he walked out of that grave, appeared alive, resurrected. Easter is the proof that God vindicated his life. Easter is the proof that everything he said was true. We know we can trust him. We know he is the perfect sacrifice. We know that he can bring a person back in a right relationship with God. Why? Because he rose from the dead. So how does salvation happen for us? When God the Holy Spirit takes this good news, and it's, it's hard to explain, but in some ways you'll know exactly. Those of you who are believers, you know exactly what I mean. It's like a, a light bulb goes off. It's like it goes from this is just a story in stained glass about this Jesus to suddenly you realize he died for me. He didn't just die. He died for me. He didn't just love the world. He loved me. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, even this morning, bringing to life those who are dead in sin and transgression. So when God make this, makes this come alive to you, you trust him, you turn away from sin, you don't want a life of sin anymore, you turn to Jesus, you trust him. And once you're saved, Christian, can you help me a little? Just give me a little nod. Once you're saved, you know you're under no more shame, no condemnation, because God treated Jesus as having your sins. He treats you as having Jesus' righteousness. God has declared you innocent. Nothing can truly harm you. Death cannot touch you. You too will be raised from the dead. And every Christian in here would say, I don't deserve, even on my best day, I don't deserve any of this. But herein I stand. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. See? Now, if you don't have that assurance this morning, if you would say, I'm not saved, or I need to recommit my life, this invitation is for you. You say, Tom, can you show me in the Bible all this gospel? Can you show me? Sure. I can take you to the most famous Bible verse of all time. Perhaps you have this verse memorized. Perhaps you've seen this reference at a football game on a poster. John 3.16. 
Now, you, you may know it. You may have it memorized. In fact, you may think, I've been in church my whole life. I've been around the things of God my whole life. Well, that's exactly, to give you a little context, that's exactly like the person that John 3.16 was first told to. Do you remember? John 3.16 was actually told to, a, a, if you will, a church guy, a religious leader named Nicodemus. He was well-respected in his community. And Jesus said in John 3.16, he was talking to Nicodemus. He was having a conversation. Actually, Jesus was going to give Nicodemus an invitation. Just like I'm going to give you an invitation. And what did he say to Nicodemus? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. Some of you are like me. You memorize it in the King James and can't do believes. Believeth just comes out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's as simple as could be. He gave that to Nicodemus. You know, if you had only one verse to explain the whole Bible, you could do a lot worse than John 3.16. Walk with me through it. For God so loved who? Hmm? The, the, I'm sorry. The, the God so loved the put-together people? God so loved the rich people? God so loved the poor people? Uh, God so loved a, a certain skin color of people. God so loved just the powerful people. Or God so loved only the addict and the pitiful people. No, 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 no. God so loved the world. When I grew up, I used to sing a hymn that said, Whosoever meaneth me. In uh, modern English, that's whosoever means me. <laughs> me. God so loved me. Did you ever have a good Sunday school teacher as a kid? If, uh, sometimes they would, they would have you do this. They would say, take out the world and put your name in there. For God so loved Tom that he gave his only son that if Tom believes in him, Tom would not perish, but Tom will have eternal life. You could put your name into John 3.16. And not just believes, but believes what? In him. Everybody's believing in something or someone. Don't act like you're not. Everybody. You know, uh, when I was a kid, <clears throat> there was this classic illustration where the preacher would put a chair. And, 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 and the chair would be sitting there and he would say, now I can believe this chair will hold my weight. And I, I can talk all about the physics of this chair and how strong this chair is. And the chair looks sturdy. But I don't have faith in the chair until what? I can't truly say that I have faith that this chair will hold me. It's all a bunch of talk until I what? And in that moment, every kid's like, oh, please let the chair break. Like, I know it would destroy the analogy, but I can't help it, you know. I sit down and, and, and then sits down in that chair and say, now I know the chair holds me. As I've grown older, I realize there's one little flaw in that illustration. It's not exactly true to say, the chair, I'm going to put my trust in the chair. Technically, that preacher's transferring his trust to the chair because he's already trusting something, his own two legs. He's taking the trust off of his own two legs and putting it on the chair. A lot of us say we trust Jesus, but we still got plenty of weight on ourselves. see? If there's a transfer of trust, let me ask you this morning, has there come a place in your life where you've transferred, you've got control of your life? Have you transferred your trust? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in anyone else? Or are you trusting in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting in Jesus for your eternity? That was Nicodemus's invitation. 
And when you do that, when you make that transfer of trust, God does this thing where you are now united in Christ and therefore you have eternal life, everlasting life. That begins now. That means for everyone who is saved, if you are saved this morning, eternity begins now. Some, everybody in here is a soul. You're going to spend eternity in one of two places, either forever with God in heaven or forever separated from God in a place no human was ever meant to go, and that's hell to be eternally separated from God. You're going to live forever to those who are in Christ. Heaven, if you will, eternal life starts now. That's why we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let more and more of your kingdom happen now in my life. And then after you die, you'll be resurrected just as Jesus was. Well, that's a lot to understand, but it's a simple verse. Uh, uh, at this point in, in, in sermons, usually you try to give an illustration, right? You try to say, okay, well, here's the information. Now let me illustrate it. Jesus himself actually connects an illustration to John 3.16. Did you know that? In his conversation with Nicodemus, he actually uses an illustration. And it's probably not the one you think. Oh, sorry. Some of you are like, I did not know he used an illustration. I thought that this was from a poster. I'm glad to know it's in the Bible. Right? Okay. If that's you. Uh, others of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he used an illustration. I know where you're going. With Nicodemus, he talked about being born again. He did, but that was a while back. The illustration he connects with John 3.16 may surprise you. It is, in, in my opinion, Jesus uses one of the strangest illustrations he could possibly use. I, not too many people even think about it. They know John 3.16, but do you recall John 3.15, John 3.14 and 15? The verses that came right before it are some of the... It, again, it just strikes me as such an odd of all the ways Jesus could illustrate the most famous verse in the Bible. This is his illustration in Nicodemus. Here's the illustration he uses. Look at verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What? Some of you are like, see, this is why I don't. This is, they're snake handling. I, okay. As Moses... Lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. By this we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Of all the ways, what? Of all the illustrations. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, let me put it in a way you can understand. You know your Bible. You know the history better than most of your friends. So you'll know this story. And... and what was happening right there is what's happening to Nicodemus. He's given Nicodemus an invitation. And by the way, we know Nicodemus got saved because John mentions him again as one of the ones who went to anoint the body. But again, it's one of the most bizarre stories in the entire Bible. And it is the exact one Jesus chooses when he's trying to give an invitation to somebody who's been around the things of God but is not yet born again. And I think I know why. And it's the exact same reason I'm going to use it as my illustration for John 3.16. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. It's not a long story. Jackie asked, what are you preaching on for your Easter sermon? I said, Numbers. She's like, you sure? I'm like, well, it wasn't my idea. Jesus did it. <laughs> in Numbers 21, starting in verse 4, this is the story Jesus is talking about. As Moses lifted up the serpent on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Well, here's the story. It won't take us long. Numbers 21, the children of Israel have left Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. 
In the meantime, they're wandering through the wilderness and some incredible things happen. Here's one. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. If a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's a crazy story, right? And yet, the more you think about it, the more you realize it is a perfect picture of how to be saved by Jesus. Think about it. God does everything for the people. He gets them into freedom. God has done everything for you, hadn't he? He's given you life. He's given you breath in your lungs. He woke you up this morning. You're here. He's done everything for you. Look at the blessings in your life, just like he did for the people of Israel. And what is our response as humans? Sin, rebellion, don't you love their comment? We have no food and no water, and we hate this food. It's like, now, now wait a minute. You, now, two out of three of those are logically impossible. Who does that sound like? That sounds like us. And so we respond to a loving and holy God with rebellion. The wrath of God comes. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. The wrath of God comes. Sin is dealt with but then but then the people realize we need a means of salvation and on a pole hmm, he displays his wrath against sin but get this everyone it's like it's like he puts the emblem of suffering and sin on a on a pole and everyone who looks to this emblem of suffering and shame will be healed will live let me say that again everyone who looks to the emblem of suffering and shame lifted up on this pole will be saved. So my question is, what ancient Israelite would not look and be saved? Who would, who would not do that? Really, who, I mean, who would not? What, what, if the plan of salvation God has made, he's made a way, look and be saved. Who would not do that? And best I can figure, there's only a, a few types of folks that wouldn't do that. One, I suppose, is if you were, if you were an ancient Israelite and you were uh, not convinced you'd been snake bitten. Might have been a scorpion, I don't know. Really? You don't want to just look to the, nah. I suppose if you were not convinced you needed to look and be saved, you'd miss out. Uh, another group would be, I suppose, if you were an ancient Israelite and you thought to yourself, ah, that's too easy. It can't be that easy. It's got to be more complicated than that. There's got to be like a 10-step process or something. No? Well, I mean, you can't just look to a, you can't just look upon that and be saved. There's got to be more to it. Surely I got to fill out a bunch of forms. There's probably a deductible. No. No, just, just look and be saved. That's too easy. And then I figure uh, maybe there's a group, and this is sad to think about, but there is a third group that wouldn't be saved, and that's if, uh, if it were too late. 
They died before they looked to God's plan of salvation and was saved. I can't put it any simpler, folks. Go back to John 13, go, excuse me, John 3, 14. You see why Jesus picked this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus said, just like Moses, put that emblem of suffering and shame high and lift it up. Jesus, the very Son of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. God made Jesus on that cross sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He judged his own son as he was as, as judging sin on that cross high and lifted up and here's the thing y'all to this day everyone who looks to Jesus will be saved just look and be saved look to Christ today and recommit your life look to Christ today you look to Christ and be saved who would not do that exact same three groups it's the exact same three groups the people who would not do that this morning are the ones who would say I'm good I'm okay I, you know, I, what could prevent you looking to Jesus? <laughs> would it not be those who would say, first of all, I'm doing okay? Uh, you know, you might say, well, I don't, I don't need him. I don't, uh, uh, you know, that salvation stuff, that's for other people, you know? I even listed them up here if you want to follow along. I, I, those that would say, I'm doing okay? Uh, salvation's for, for broken people. I'm, I'm put together. To everyone who would say that this morning, I would say with all the love in my heart, you have a deadly venom coursing through you right now called sin. And it's only a matter of time before you're going to face an eternity apart from God. I'm not talking about how you appear on the outside. I'm talking about how you know deep down what you know to be true. I know this about you. You have a secret. I'm not talking about the stuff everybody knows. I'm talking about what you know and what God knows. And, you, and, 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 and you've got shame and you've got fear and, it's, and, and, and so much of your life is an attempt to hide this. I'm telling you this morning, won't you look to Christ and be saved? Don't let I'm too good, I'm doing okay keep you from salvation or rededication this morning. The second group, same thing. It's too easy. See, there's this other group that, and this is incredible, and some of you know who you are. You're so riddled with fear and anxiety, and, and, and you would say, no, I'd do anything to have a right relationship with God. And yet when they say, Pastor, what do I need to do to get back right with God? I say, look to Christ and be saved. They say, yeah, 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 but like, what else do I need to do? Look to Christ and be saved. Yeah, but like, I mean, there's got to be something, right? Look to Christ and be saved. I have met people, honestly, that I think they miss the gospel because they figure it can't, be too, it can't be that easy. And here's the irony. If I gave them something difficult, they'd jump at the chance. Isn't that the, that's the craziest thing. If I told them, all right, all right, all right, you want to have eternal life? You want to be saved? It's going to cost you. I'll do it. Oh, it's going to take commitment. Anything. All right, here we go. It's five things. You got to be in church every Sunday, six months. Can't miss a Sunday. That includes Wednesday nights. <laughs> You've got to uh, get baptized four times. Pond, river, pool, baptistry. <laughs> if you hit them, if you touch them all, you've got to give $1,000 to the poor. If you can give in cash, you can be saved that day. Check, we wait till it clears. 
And you have to read your Bible cover to cover three times. And if you do all that, if and only you do all that, then you too can have eternal life. I'm here to tell you right now, there are people who go, then here I go, start right now. And they'd start checking that box. And for them, they would get excited about that. And yet I tell them, look to Christ and be saved. And they go, too easy. Why? It's not too easy. You're too proud. Because deep down you know that if Christ does all the saving, if you're just a hopeless sinner who needs to be rescued and he rescues you, that means for the rest of your life, he can ask 100% of you and you have to say yes, why? Because he owns everything. But if in the back of your mind, if you could contribute just five or 10% to your own salvation, then Christ could only ask up to 90 to 95% of you and there'd always be a little bit that was yours. Don't let that make you miss out on the good news of the gospel. Turn to Christ and be saved. It really is that simple. Easy is probably the wrong word. It costs the only begotten Son of God, but it's that simple for you today. And finally, just look to Christ and be saved. You say, ah, I'm doing okay, or it's too easy. And finally, for those who would say, I'm too late, listen to the words of my mouth. If, if you can hear what's coming out of my mouth right now, good news, it's not too late. If you need further confirmation, just feel for a pulse. If you can't feel it, I'm just going to take it by faith. You're still here. You, know, right? you understand? It's not too late. Why? Because you're here right now. Let me say this clearly. I don't know how many clear gospel presentations you'll get in your life, but you got one right here. Won't you look to Christ and be saved? Won't you look to him and be saved? I know that there's probably, anytime I, I talk like this, there's probably three groups. There's probably... I'm only talking really to one of you. There's probably a group that's a yes, and you're already a yes. And you're, a, you're a, inside of your heart right now, you're bursting. As you think about what God has done in your life, he saved your soul, he's rescued you, you're a blood-bought child of God, you're a Christian, and everything is just like, it's just all you can do to keep from jumping up and shouting, hallelujah, God is good, he saved my soul. You're a yes. And then there are those of you, and this breaks my heart, but you're a no, and nothing I say is going to convince you the longer I preach, it's just like trying to throw a ripe strawberry through a battleship. <laughs> Splat. You've hardened your heart. You've already decided. You're already, your mind, you're already checked out. You're on your way out. You're a no. Oh, but there's this third group. Every time I preach, I have to believe there's this third group. And you're the, yeah, I'm totally going to do that one day group. Yeah, I'm totally going to get right. I've been meaning to get right with the Lord. I, yeah, I've been meaning to get back in church. I've been meaning to rededicate my life. I was just going to do it one day. You're the, oh, you're my group. Today's your day. Today's your day. The only thing that's going to be different between now and if you wait six months would be that uh, six months of heartache and anxiety and loneliness and fear and not knowing and no assurance. Let today be that day. Do you know he loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. You hear me? He didn't just die. He died for you in your place for your salvation. So that anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you say, Tom, how do you know it's all true? I'd say, well, the guy who wrote this stuff down was there. You know, on Good Friday service, the service started with this beautiful solo. Were you there when they crucified? And I thought if the Apostle John were here, he'd stand up and say, yep, I was there. I was there when they laid him in a tomb. I was there and I was there 
when I saw the risen Lord Jesus, risen from the dead with all power and authority in his hand, I saw him ascended, ascend up to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, where he lives and reigns with God and the Holy Spirit forevermore. And I know for a fact he's coming back. I even got to see it. He transported me and I wrote the book of Revelation. The apostle John, the eyewitness who told us all this was there. So will you look to Christ and be saved? You don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to do those checklist of things. Just need to be saved this morning. Will you do it? Is it you? I can almost sense the Holy Spirit just moving among the pews, asking you, is it you? Is it time? Is today that day? I told you at the beginning, and I mean every word of it. I'll love you. I'll respect you. I hope you keep coming back. But I'm pleading with you that today would be that day of salvation. Look to Christ and be saved. I can lead you in a simple prayer, uh, especially for that first invitation that may help you, give you some scaffolding to pray to receive him. Or uh, that second invitation, I can just pray generally over you. But here's how I want to do the invitation. We've got some folks that have volunteered to help, uh, and they'll be uh, around and praying. But here's, here's what I was hoping. Uh, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Would everybody just bow your head and close your eyes? Thank you. And I told you I would start with that first invitation, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. That first invitation. If you are here today and you would say, I've never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, or I don't know. Again, preachers have a million ways to say it. They might say, I, I've never been born again. I've never asked Jesus into my life. I've never made Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. I've, I've never been saved. Or I don't know. If that's you, then I'm going to ask you to respond, and here's how I'm going to ask you to respond in this invitation. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm going to ask for three responses, really, and you've already done two of them. I'm going to ask you to respond with your brain, your heart, and your body. And two of them, you've already responded. What do I mean? You've already responded with your brain, because if you know right now you need to be saved, then that means you've got some content, either from this message or from a million messages. Some of you have heard this good news gospel story since you were just a little boy or a little girl. And every time you hear it, it's like it's coming back to you in waves. Oh, you've got it in your brain. But this morning, God is touching your heart. He's calling you, he's pulling you, he's drawing you to salvation. So you've already responded in your heart. And I'm gonna ask you to respond in a third way, respond with your body. And what do I mean by that? Simple. I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, if you want to receive him, make today that day. Or you would say, I don't know, and I need to settle this matter. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. You don't have to move out of the aisle. You don't have to come forward. You just have to stand up right where you are. You've already responded with your brain. You've already responded with your heart. I want you to respond with your body by simply standing up. I'll lead you in a simple prayer. That'll be your response. You notice on the back of that connect card, there's a chance for you to check that box and let us know you made that response. Someone will be here to pray. But really, all this is, is looking to Jesus and be saved. So again, I'll count to three. And if you need to be saved, or you would say, I don't know that I've been saved. I don't know that I'm born again. But you hear the gospel call clearly. You feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart right now, bringing you to life. Respond. Repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in him. Look to Jesus and be saved. I'll count to three and you just stand. One last word of warning. I've done this many years and I know exactly what's happening right now. Some of you know you need to stand 
but the enemy is already tempting you. He is in full panic mode right now because he has a hunch that God is dealing with you and he's right and he's scared to death. So here he's whispering a couple lies right now. One of the lies is, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't stand. Why? What will people think? That's the enemy. Don't you worry about what people will think. Besides, a couple things. One, I can tell you what they'll think. First of all, they'll rejoice. That's what they'll think. Every blood-bought child of God in this whole church will rejoice for those that are saved because they remember the day they were lost and Christ found them. So that's the first thing you don't have to worry about. There's no judgment here. This is a bunch of forgiven sinners. And two, you don't have to worry about what people think. And two, this isn't about what other people think. It's about you and your Lord. Satan will try to whisper, no, no, he'll count to three. Don't stand. Do, do it another time. Oh, delayed obedience is disobedience. Don't, what, what other time? Come on. Are you going to listen to the voice of your enemy or the still small voice of your Savior? So that's it. That's your chance to respond. This is the first invitation. If you would say, I'm, I'm not saved or I've never been saved or I don't know if I'm saved, I can lead you in a simple prayer all across the room. If that's you, you've responded with your brain, responded with your heart. I'll count to three. You respond with your body. You stand to your feet. And let me lead you in this simple prayer. Look to Christ and be saved. Are you ready? Okay. If that's you, Stand on the count of three. One, two, three. You stand right now. God bless you. God bless you. Some of the prayer team we have, would you just look around and go and pray with thee? Put a hand on a shoulder. Good. Yep. Just put a hand on a shoulder. Let them know you love them. Praise God. I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer. Praise God. Bless God. Bobby, just want to let people know they're not alone. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And you can repeat these words after me. When uh, a couple gets married, I, I help them with the words. The vows are between the bride and groom. The love is between them. I just help them with the words. That's my job. So this is between you and God. I'll just help you with some words. You might pray something like this. Dear God, just repeat that. Dear God, I told you, simple words. I believe that you made me. I believe that you made me. My sins have separated us. My sins have separated us. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And on the third day rose from the dead. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. Come into my life and save me. Come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We thank the Lord for this harvest. And now we move into this second invitation. It's the same thing. I won't belabor it. I won't go as deeply. But if you know you are saved, but you need to recommit this morning, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe you've fallen away from church or uh, somehow fallen away and you know that you're saved, but you need to reconnect with your heavenly Father. Same thing, same uh, temptation. The, the Satan will be whispering, no, 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 don't do that. What will others think? You don't worry about anything. This is the Lord's time. He's dealing with you. If that's you, I'm going to count to three and ask you to stand to your feet. It's just an invitation. 
There's no manipulation or coercion. This is between you and the Lord. I won't belabor it or draw it out, but if you need prayer, I'd like to pray generally over you. And we've got some prayer warriors scattered throughout the sanctuary. Don't be surprised if you feel a hand on your shoulder. They may uh, put a hand on your shoulder to let you know you're not alone and they're praying with you. Don't be surprised by that. If that's you, if you need to respond, rededication or recommitment, I'll count to three. You stand to your feet right where you are. Are you ready? You respond with your brain, you respond with your heart, now with your body. One, two, three, you stand. 